I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, and all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Sam Monson here. No Steve, though. Uh, some kind of galloping virus has inflicted the Palazzolo household, so we've got. Brad Spielberger in to deputize, to replace Steve, frankly, uh, to talk about free agency. How's it going, Brad? It's going well. I know we're bringing the, uh, the average height down to the pot a bit, but uh, not too much. A little bit. Yeah, not too bad. It's pretty good standing in terms of maintaining that high average height. Um, and look, you um, and Steve are, are primarily responsible for everybody thinking that I'm like five foot two at the Combine. My entire week in Indy is like people being surprised that I'm not this height. Yeah, I can vouch for you that he, I also probably said the same thing. But Sam is a normal-sized human being to all the listeners out there. Exactly. Yeah, normal guy. Just Steve is, is an alien. So it, it looks, you know, looks off. That's 100% what it is. I'm normal-sized. He is not. And that's the problem. Um, good, good week to have you on, Brad. One, because obviously free agency is starting up. But two, because we've already had a ton of news break over the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Let's start off with the Tom Brady stuff because – me and Steve reacted to that on the, uh, the PFF NFL Daily, which is up already. We threw that up late last night um, on both YouTube and the audio version. Um, so you can listen to our take on that. But I want to get yours. First of all, though, I want to tell you all about uh, Western and Southern, the principal sponsor of the PFF NFL podcast. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Uh, buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up uh, to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. So, what did you what did you think he was gone for good? That's the first question. No, I really didn't. I, I mean, I feel like he left the door open in, in a couple of his podcast episodes, but even before that, it just he's mentioned in the past. I want to play till the wheels fall off. He should have won MVP last season, so the wheels are, are firmly still on on the wagon. So why do you think he why do you think he walked away in the first place? Because I was with you when it first happened. I was like this. It, before it happened, actually, but when it, when we were talking, you know, retirement or not for Tom Brady, I was like, that is one guy that is not going to accept going out losing like that, right? Gets his comeback all the way back, gets it taken away from him on the last play, the the bomb to Cooper Cup. Brady's not going out like that. If if anybody in the world can be irrational enough to think that I can go out on a Super Bowl win, it's Brady because. The odds are he will, right? Every other year, the dude wins the Super Bowl. So it made no sense to me at the time, but then he announced that retirement. It was like, oh, okay. That, that, well, that obviously changes something. But then he ends up reversing uh, course over the course of 40 days, whatever yeah. it's been. You know, I think he hates the 17th game. I think he hates the new playoff structure, not getting a first-round bye that he came to love and, and be used to it you know, every year in the postseason. And so I think he was just tired of a grueling, long season. 
um, and, and kind of made, not made a snap decision, but kind of just was, you know, that was weighing on him. And, and But after a little bit of time away, I think he realized, look, I still have the fire. I still have the desire to go out there and do this. Um, you know, the Bucks are now going to run everything back. Obviously, signed center Ryan Jensen already. Um, we'll probably bring as many guys back as they possibly can. And I think also, like, a move like Russell Wilson leaving the NFC, it's just such a bad conference compared to the AFC. It's him, you know, Rodgers, Stafford, and, 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 who, and who else? You know what I'm saying? So if I'm him, you know, maybe the Cowboys, but they're, they're losing players and all these things. So if I'm him, it's just, it's just too perfect an opportunity. The NFC South, the division stinks. It's just, it's just too perfect. Do you think now that he's like, it's this year and then done? Or is he going to like keep taking a swing at it until, until the stuff he talked about, right? Until either the wheels fall off or until he does get a chance to go out holding a Lombardi trophy? I think this will be the last year, whatever happens. Um, you know, now that he's flirted with it and it's in the back of his mind, I don't think he wanted the, the farewell tour and all that. He's obviously going to get it. Uh, and the biggest winner of him returning is Ben Roethlisberger because people will care about his his uh, Hall of Fame induction now. But, yeah, I think it is just a one year. I'm still fired up, but it's not going to be, you know, the Brett Favre type saga. So how much work do you think the Bucks can do now in terms of bringing in, getting everybody back or bringing in people to plug the holes that are there on this roster now? Critically, Brady has done this before free agency starts, right? Even you know, even giving them a couple of days, essentially, before free agency starts, or at least some, some time before even the legal tampering period opens up so they can do things like Ryan Jensen immediately re-signs. Um, but last year, everything they did was about bringing everybody back, right? Just make sure nobody leaves from the Super Bowl team. We'll take another shot at it. This year, there are a couple of holes already. Guys like Ali Marpet retiring, he's at least said he's going to stay retired. We'll see if Tom Brady being on the phone will change that. But potentially Marpet's done. There's a couple of other players that look like they're going to be hitting free agency this time. How much work do you think that Brady is going to be able to do to, to keep that group around or critically be the draw in free agency that, you know, brings in a cheaper replacement? Yeah, I think that's the key there. So, you know, I do think now Chris Godwin extension probably gets done in the near future, maybe even before free agency starts on the 16th. They try to just get it done now. I think you can make an argument that it's more, it's more worth it because you get at least one year, maybe maybe more, with Tom Brady. So you might as well pay him and, and have those two good receivers. You know, I think Alex Kappa, their right guard, could also leave him free agency. So you do have to replace both guard spots. But, you know, they drafted Robert Hainsey early last year, the, the right tackle from Notre Dame. He could slide into one of those places. The roster, I think, is still in a decent spot. They're going to have to spend um, a little bit to get some of their guys back. But I think the key is what you mentioned at the end there. Who can he convince – to go on a you know victory lap and, and and like he's done in the past, maybe some guys that get cut, he convinces to join him. You know, a left guard convinced Roger Saffold, hey, you know Tennessee just cut you, come down, let's win a Super Bowl together. Guys like that, I'm sure he's already making some phone calls. Yeah, I mean he's got to be one of the best recruiting tools in the NFL right now. Tom Brady won last year. Let's take a shot at a Super Bowl. If you're a guy looking for a relatively short-term deal, there's there's got to be no better place in the NFL. Even if you're taking a little bit less money. To go and play with Tom Brady for one last farewell, you know, potential revenge tour and try and get that ring. It's not going to be a boring season no matter what happens. And, and yeah, I think these guys think about legacy and all those things. Hey, you'll be, you'll be in the documentary. You'll, you'll be involved in a lot of things outside <laughs> of football. So, yeah, if you're a veteran, I don't see why you wouldn't jump at the opportunity. Yeah, uh, it, it is kind of funny that Brady was gone for exactly 40 days, right? Like Jesus, wandering in the desert. Suffered all the temptations, right? Presumably people were out there trying to feed him like real sugar ice cream and stuff. Here, take a Coke, you know? 
and, and Brady wanted none of it. He, after 40 days, he was done, right? No, I need back in. I need back in the game where I can just take the TB12 method, water and avocados, and that's it. It's too dangerous out here in the real world where I've got to suffer all these temptations of everything else. I think, I think it's quite fitting. Yeah, no, he, no tomatoes, no, no strawberries. He, he's still pliable. He's, he's still staying limber, and he's, he'll be ready to go. So the other news that broke yesterday, almost exactly at the same time as the Tom Brady thing, is that the Vikings have extended Kirk Cousins. Um, and okay, the extension, it's, it's just to buy them some more salary cap space, right? It's free up some room. But critically, they also, they, he's got a no trade clause now, which I thought was the most surprising element of that, because I've been saying that I don't think that this new regime necessarily wants to trade Kirk Cousins. But if a team gets, get, get, got desperate enough and rolled in there with a big offer, say Carolina, and was like, hey, look, we need something, and number six is on the table, I thought they would have taken it. But all of a sudden, that's, I mean, that's gone, right? They've, was this a case of Minnesota needed the cap relief and Cousins' stipulation for doing that was no trade? Or do they really buy into him that much? I think it's the latter. And I think, you know, this might be surprising some folks. I mean, it had to be done. If you weren't going to trade him, you could not enter the season without giving him more money. And I say that because you're going to let him just walk in free agency after the year for a third round compensatory pick potentially, because he is effectively not franchise taggable already had to a third would be an astronomical number. So he's in reality is not franchise taggable. So that's why it is kind of a sharp move. Actually, if you want to get the most value out of him, Maybe he has another good season, and then you trade him next offseason. Like you said, though, the big key is he was able to secure that no-trade clause so he can kind of control where he goes. Um, but, yeah, it, it's just that that's the leverage that he's gained by being, you know, him and his agent Mike McCartney, by being, you know, one of the better, you know, negotiators in the history of this sport for contracts is, is, is what they've been able to do. Um, fully guaranteed short-term deals that keep all the, you know, the cards in their favor – and, and that's the same as it is now, but I, the Vikings leave the door open to maybe making a big trade next offseason. What do you think, if he does, if he repeats this season, say, this year, uh, last season, this year, and, and backs up, you know, whatever it was, the 88 grade with another 88 grade, plays really good, but, you know, there's obviously something that separates Kirk Cousins from the truly elite quarterbacks in the NFL. What's his trade value next year? I mean, if Carson Wentz can get a third and a future third that could be a second, if I'm the Vikings, I'm still asking for a first-round pick. I mean, maybe you're not getting multiple, but a first and a third or a first and a second is absolutely fair, fair to ask, and, and some quarterback-desperate team will probably pay. Because yeah, the, the point you bring up is a good one, that for whatever about how well he's played in his career, that guy is in the contract Hall of Fame with Chase Daniel and Darrell Rivas and whoever else you want to put up there. Kirk Cousins, for his career now – has maximized an astounding sum of money. I can't remember who was tweeting him, but somebody was saying this is going to be the eighth consecutive season when you count the franchise tags where he's played on a guaranteed sum of money, which is insane. Yeah, was, like, nobody does that. Insane. That was Jason at OverTheCap.com. And, yeah, $230 million in career earnings now. And, like you said, fully guaranteed every season since 2015. It's unheard of. For eight straight years, that's madness at the quarterback position. And it's going it's, it's to amass him, like, $200 million. He's going to end up being – one of the most, one of the the best paid players in NFL history for the length of his con- like career, if not the best, by the time he ends up hanging them up, it's ins- it's madness for a guy that like we're still not convinced if he is the franchise quarterback of the team he's playing for. 
teach your kid to throw the pigskin, people. It's it's real. You know, you don't have to be one of the top five. I mean, you still have to be one of the top, you know, twelve to sixteen. But yeah, I mean, that's just that. And like we talk about the trades and everything, and people kind of making fun of will Carolina give the sixth overall pick? They probably would have. Yeah. I mean, this draft does not have quarterbacks at the top. Yeah, they could take a tackle or whatever, but they probably would have. And so next offseason, you just bank on there being a handful of clubs. Maybe whoever signs Mitchell Trubisky will immediately regret that and try to trade for Kirk or whoever it is. There's going to be people calling in, in, in 12 months. So these the quarterback dominoes have started falling now, right? The, obviously, the Brady thing happened. Um, Aaron Rodgers ends up returning to Green Bay. By the way, is there a more annoyed person in the world than Aaron Rodgers about how the last, like, two days have panned out? Man drops his, you know, comeback news. I'm back in Green Bay. 30 minutes later, Russell Wilson's being traded to Seattle, so your news cycle's immediately blown to hell. And then Brady unretires over the weekend. Nobody even remembers who Aaron Rodgers is right now, and I would imagine that that grates on Aaron Rodgers. A, a cryptic tweet has to be in the drafts right now just, just to get the attention back. I'll <laughs> say on the flip side, who knows if they did this on purpose, but if the Minnesota Vikings intentionally released the extension about five minutes after Brady's tweet, right. that's just good. That's just good business. <laughs> that's what I tweeted yesterday. If, if I really hope that they intentionally dropped that out right after Tom Brady on retired. And we're like, yeah, nobody's going to know about this. Um, th- so Russell Wilson ends up moving. He's now in Denver. Uh, Rogers goes back to green Bay. He's off the market. Brady on retires. Um, Kirk Cousins gets re-upped, which takes away the, the potential of a trade this offseason. All of a sudden, the quarterback needy teams, the options are diminishing, right? So if you're Carolina in particular, the most quarterback needy team, arguably, obviously the Carson Wentz thing as well. So Carolina is suddenly that team where I, I tweeted out a while ago that like the quarterback carousel in the offseason, it's like musical chairs, right? Nobody wants to be the team where when the music stops playing, you have Sam Darnold, right? You don't want to be that team. So that's why Washington went and did the Carson Wentz thing, because as bad as that deal is, it's better than having Sam Darnold, right? And, and all of a sudden, Carolina is sort of staring down the barrel of, like, that's, that's potentially happening again. So that's why I thought that they were the team that might have been desperate enough to do something like trade number six overall to Minnesota. I guess what, where I'm getting to is, well, like, what the hell are they going to do? Because they're running out of options and they're only getting more desperate. I mean, they've, they've clearly been adamant from day one that they are comfortable bringing in Deshaun Watson. They're going to try and do whatever they possibly can. And when you have a head coach, you know, and Matt Rule that probably, you know, won't have a job in 2023 unless they do something, you get desperate and, and you're willing to go big. I think they will make the best offer to Houston. I think it'll be three first round picks. I think a guy like a Brian Burns can be involved. Maybe even you know, a guy like DJ Moore, wide receiver, like, it is going to be the biggest trade offer we've seen since Herschel Walker in 1989. But the no trade clause that Watson has is a huge crutch. And I don't think he really wants to go to Carolina. I mean, I'm not sure why he would. What what has changed from last year when he allegedly said he would not waive his no trade clause to go there not to now? I mean, has it gotten better? I, I don't think so. So, um, you know, and that's also what makes the Saints super interesting is if Carolina misses out and Watson lands in their division – that's going to be tough sledding in Carolina. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll talk about the Deshaun Watson thing in a minute because for the first time since the whole thing has started, really, we've got some actual change in the landscape. Uh, but right now, you can get 25% off any PFF subscription if you use the promo code NFLPOD. Um, what can you get with a PFF subscription? 
all of PFS locked article content, the NFL draft guide, and all of its iterations, which frankly is worth the subscription price on its own. Completely unlocked mock, dra- mock draft simulator, uh, which is getting constant updates all the time. 2022 NFL free agent rankings that Brad is a big part of and the projected contracts and all those kinds of things. So you can see the players that your team is signing, what they should have been signing for, how good the deal is that you've got, data and grades from the entire 2021 NFL season and beyond, and much, much more. Uh, Support the podcast and use promo code NFLPOD for 25% off any subscription. Um, So for the first time, there has actually been some movement in the Deshaun Watson thing because every time this has come up for like the last year, I've been saying, look, there's no point talking this because it's not happening until something happens in the legal landscape, right? Nobody is trading for a guy with 22 civil lawsuits and 10 criminal lawsuits hanging over him. Well, for the first time, it isn't anymore, right? It's only, quote unquote, 22 civil lawsuits. The criminal thing is, is gone, right? The grand jury has decided not to bring charges on any of those 10 criminal uh, accusations. So that part is out of the equation. And as much as it, like the 2020, or the 22 civil lawsuits hanging over him, that's just on the sort of public side of it, right? Obviously, there's a whole bunch of people on various sides of this are working away in the background to sort out those things. And by that, I mean potentially settle them, all I'm saying is, it, it look, on the outside, it looks like nothing has happened with the, 2020, with the 22 civil lawsuits, but that's probably not the case for a team who's looking to trade for. Yeah, I would imagine, you know, that there are settlement conversations with all those folks. And yeah, but also teams just doing background and, you know, they're viewing this as a decade-long decision. This isn't, you know, everyone keeps referencing, oh, he's going to be suspended for four to six games. Look, if you pull this trade off, you think he's your starting quarterback for the next decade. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's unfortunate that uh, you know, at the end of the day, winning is, is all that is going to matter at the end of the day. Um, but it is. That, that's the reality of the situation. And he makes any team he lands on an immediate contender, you know, if he does get there. It, it's a really – now you get into this weird world of, like, um, morality versus, you know, the presumption of innocence, right? And you're a lawyer, right? So you're the perfect person to, to talk to about this. I I took uh, took a year and a half of a legal diploma, so I'm equally qualified to speak on this topic. <laughs> um, the, so just because, all right, ten criminal lawsuits went away, that does not mean for a start that he has been. There has been no finding of innocence, right? There is simply not enough, or the the available evidence was not high enough for them to be confident in a conviction to bring a charge in the first place, right? So, Correct. Immediate- yep, but we've seen in the past the NFL has not cared and done their own investigations. You know, Ezekiel Elliott was cleared of everything, still right. had a six-game suspension. Big Ben, I want to say, was technically like, criminally cleared as well, um, was found guilty civilly, but same thing, six-game suspension. So there is still things going on for sure. Correct. And I, I only bring that up because, you know, a lot of people are out there going, well, he's, he's been proved innocent which is not exactly what's happened, right? There is resumption of innocence. On the other hand, you know, when when you're dealing with 22 civil lawsuits and 10 criminal lawsuits, I don't know how many you need before the presumption is that you did something, but it's probably higher. It's probably, we're probably above whatever number that is, right? I I would hope so. I would hope all folks, you know, that that want to push back on things. 22 is a large number. Yes. So even if the 10, the 10 criminal ones have already gone away. And even if they settle all 22 of these cases so that he ends up with no official 
uh, legal wrongdoing, right? He's not guilty of anything. All these suits have gone away. I, I don't think the correct assumption from that is, well, innocent man walks away, right? Justice has been done. This was just a guy in the wrong place at the wrong time, and he got, he, you know, justice has been served, right? You should probably still be looking at this guy as something sketchy happened, and the legal system, such as it is, has made it go away. And now some team is going to trade for this guy, but you should probably be paying attention to what they're trading for. I'm just saying that we're, we're now in this weird world where we have to talk about Deshaun Watson, the football player, again, because there is a pretty good chance now that there's a trade that's going to happen. But we're not like he's a different person than we thought he was before all this came up. No, 100 percent. And you can't just brush that aside. Even like you said, if everything does go away. You need to still you know, be aware of that reality, cognizant of how that impacts your building and everyone that works in your building. Um, yeah. And I would hope that any club that makes this decision still understands all those things. And, and he expresses remorse and, and a desire to change and, and all that. Um, you'd certainly hope to see that. Do you think that because there's a there's some kind of potential NFL suspension still coming down the pike because of all the stuff we just talked about the the baggage for one of a better term that he's going to be bringing with him regardless of the the outcome of all these civil cases should that affect the trade price right because a per, like if none of this was a thing if it was just Deshaun Watson wants out of Houston this is the cost three first round picks plus whatever that would make perfect sense. He would be one of, when we were talking about him before it happened as arguably the second most valuable asset in the NFL after Patrick Mahomes, right? A quarterback that's young, playing at the peak of his powers on a long-term contract. It's the jackpot for anybody that doesn't have that. So then obviously this happens. How much should that affect the trade price? Yeah, it's a fair question. And I think, you know, clubs that are calling Houston have been trying to make that argument for a long time. But it, it sounds like general manager Nick Casario has never really succumbed to that pressure. And, you know, I'll say this. Absent all of these things, it, let's flash back to before we knew this, there probably wasn't a trade price for a player of his caliber, right? Like, right. there is not enough assets you could give up that actually make you whole and make it an even deal for both sides. So, like I, said, like I said, it'll be one of the biggest trades in the, in the history of the league, if not the biggest trade in the history of the league. And, and that still may not represent how much he actually is worth on the field as a football player. So what are the other teams that are likely to be in on this? There's Carolina, who we talked about being the team that's obviously the most desperate. Seattle right now is sitting there with just Drew Locke, effectively. That's, that's not going to cut it for next year. Um, who else is potentially on the table? I think New Orleans is definitely interested Sounds like they've made a push in recent hours. Uh, a couple others. I, I know there's been pushback that maybe Philadelphia and Pittsburgh are not as interested. I still feel like they're probably at least in the background lurking a little bit. Obviously, the Eagles had the three first-round picks. Yeah. And Jalen Hurts showed flashes last year. But I'm not sure anyone is sitting at home saying, okay, we're, we're confident this guy is a starting quarterback in the NFL long term. I think he could be. I think he's a good player. But, um, but if Deshaun Watson's available, I mean, I don't think anyone argues he's better than him. Um, and, and then Pittsburgh as well. We, we heard – for the longest time that Brian Flores was a big cog in why Watson wanted Miami. He wanted to play with, Co with Coach Flores, who's, of course, now in Pittsburgh. And so I think maybe, you know, their general manager, Kevin Colbert, I've said this a lot now, but he's also going to retire after the draft. Just to me, it presents itself as an opportunity where he makes the move, takes all the backlash, and then, you know, rides off into the sunset and moves to Aruba and, and kind of is willing to just, you know, take that lump for his club and set them up for long-term success. Yeah, that, that's actually a fascinating one. I haven't heard 
much about that because of the things you were saying that they've been it, it's been sort of quietly percolating in the background. Do you think that Jalen Hurts actually brings is he a value as part of the trade if you're Houston? Like, are you interested in Jalen Hurts coming back as, as a make weight? The belief is that they would rather just stick with Mills if they're not going to get a, you know, like unless the Raiders step up and, and you know, like maybe offer them Derek Carr in a right. trade package for a Deshaun Watson. The, the growing belief is no, they'll just stick with Mills and, and obviously we'll have a billion, you know, draft picks and maybe next year if they love some kid in the class that they'll take a prospect. But no, I don't think they're interested in kind of these mid-tier guys. Like everyone mentions Carolina, Darnold, like they're not taking Darnold back in a, in a Deshaun Watson trade. No, I mean, particularly not with his contract. Like, if Darnold was on nothing, maybe, like, just as a throwaway, what the hell? But Darnold and his contract is, it's a net loss. Like, it's a negative. You don't want that. Um, Are there any teams like the Raiders, a team with, quote-unquote, with a quarterback that would be potentially in the Deshaun Watson market just because it represents one of those rare upgrade opportunities like the Josh Rosen to Kyler Murray deal? Not something you typically think of, but not something that comes around very often. I think the Cleveland Browns are that team. You know, I think they've made it clear they're not a huge believer in Baker Mayfield. Obviously did not give him the early extension last year. He didn't have a great season. Andy was hurt, um, had not committed to him. It sounds like they've even had conversations about an extension this offseason. I'm not sure why they would. Um, but, you know, making a big trade for Amari Cooper that doesn't take up a lot of draft capital. Sure, it takes up some money, but only a fifth-round pick to get Amari Cooper. It sounds like they are very much so in the mix, and, and we'll make a big push to try to bring him in as well. But, again, the no-trade clause for Deshaun, you know, does he want to go to Cleveland, Ohio? No, but that. But I've heard sort of lists of things that Deshaun Watson wants in a new team, right, of which Cleveland actually starts taking quite a lot of boxes, right? A good offensive line was one of them. I think a good defense might have been the might have been another one. Cleveland's defense has moved in the right direction. I forget what the rest of them were, but like most of them, you look at it and you're like Carolina. You don't tick any of these boxes. Um, the the Browns actually tick quite a lot of them. Like if you're if you're Watson and you're trying to pick your team in terms of an actual good situation, I mean. You rewind 12 months, and we were saying Baker Mayfield should have had a career year. The Cleveland Browns are the favorite for the AFC North. They were going to be a playoff team. Um, you know, right at the start of the season, they gave Kansas City everything they could they could handle, and we thought the Browns were going to be a contender. Okay, it didn't happen largely because Baker Mayfield tore his shoulder up in Week Two, but much of that is still there. Like the reason we were so excited about Cleveland is still intact. I mean, the offensive line, for sure. I mean, there's probably not a better scenario. I guess New Orleans has a good offensive line as well, but the rumor is that Ryan Ramchick might be part of the deal. I'm not sure if I believe that. But nevertheless, um, yeah, I mean, the Browns are definitely on the football field. should be an attractive destination. I think players like to play for, you know, general manager Andrew Barry, and, and it's a good infrastructure in place there now. Um, maybe they do make a sweet, you know, uh, the sweetheart offer and come over the top. Because if I'm Watson, if the other alternative is Carolina, and even I do respect the Saints organization and, and they do a good job, but you know, Cleveland has has assets that they can actually, right. you know, maybe be a better football team in 2022. Man, I struggle so much with how many teams are completely fine with the idea of trading for Deshaun Watson. Like I know. This is the NFL. The NFL's got an extensive history of, you know, this kind of thing. Like, there's plenty of people in the league that have done some pretty reprehensible things throughout their career. But it's just wild that, like, one one small domino falls, and all of a sudden everybody's like, here's the offer. Here it is. Take it. Take it. Give us the quarterback. I'm just I, – I shouldn't be surprised, and I still somehow am. Um, let's talk about the Browns for a little bit because they made a move, right? They went and got Amari Cooper – 
And there's a little, there's both sides of this. There's the Browns side, which is I'm impressed that they didn't let the fact that the OBJ move was a disaster dissuade them from making this kind of move, right? The, the OBJ move, I think, was sound in principle, right? We think we have a quarterback. Even if we don't, it doesn't hurt to bring in a receiver as talented as OBJ. And it just didn't work. For whatever reason, Beckham and Baker Mayfield could not get on the same page. It just didn't function. And it was better for both sides that they moved on, even if they didn't have a replacement. And they've gone out and they've said, it, it, the principle is still the right one, right? We need an elite receiver. We need a guy that can get open. We need a guy that can help our quarterback out. And they go and get uh, Amari Cooper, who fits that bill perfectly. Yeah, I mean, he's still only going to be 28 next year. You do bring in the full, you know, three-year, $60 million deal. But just this year is guaranteed. So $20 million guaranteed for this year. And then maybe you revisit a deal. Or, you know, because you only give him a fifth-round pick, you could, I guess, in theory, trade him again or just cut him or, or do whatever. But I agree with you. It, it, uh, them stepping up, taking on the full contract, I think, is why they got the deal done. It sounds like Jacksonville and others did make offers, the Jets, I think, as well. But they wanted to get, you know, relief on the contract. So, Credit to Cleveland, trying to make a push still. Um, and, yeah, look, maybe it makes the, the destination more attractive to a guy like Deshaun Watson as well. And, the, like, the contract thing, so three years, $60 million, as much as that sounds massive, like Mike Williams just re-signed for a three-year, $60 million deal. Like, that's the it's, – it's not that expensive. Okay, it's crazy if you rewind a couple of years. But if you start looking into the future a couple of years, that – for Amari Cooper, that's not a crazy amount of money. No, I know. It is funny. When that when the Williams deal came through, it was right after we heard all these rumors about, you know, Amari uh, Cooper getting moved. And so, I, I mean, I, they're the same age. Cooper's been more productive in his career to this point, more consistent, um, all these things. It is funny. I agree with you there. I, I just think, you know, they'll probably try to redo it or both sides might, you know, want to redo it at some point. But, yeah, I, I mean, I'm with you. I, I don't think it's that bad. I, I think getting him for a fifth-round pick is a win. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as I say, I think he can, he can fit that um... – that role in that Cleveland offense. And the, the thing that always made Amari Cooper so attractive to me as a player is that he wins everywhere, right? He is, he wins in the slot. He can win outside. He can win at all depths of the field. He can be your short, intermediate, deep guy as well. Like whatever you do, and like Cleveland basically needs a complete receiving core, right? They, assuming Jarvis Landry is on the move, they need a replacement for everything. Um, they've got Peoples Jones and Anthony Schwartz and, and neither one of those guys is much more than I think a very small bit part player of a receiving core. So you need essentially a one, two, and three. And Cooper lets you get anything and still work, right? If you if you brought in somebody else, say a Mike Williams, right? I know he re-signed, but if he was the alternative, you're now pigeonholed into what you need as the other receivers because Mike Williams has like a very defined role within an offense. Cooper lets you go and get any other receiver, and it still works. And I think there's massive value in that, particularly if you're looking at the draft when you don't know who's going to be available. And, it, and there, there's sort of all these different types of receivers. Cleveland now has the flexibility to basically bring in whatever receiver they want and know that it's still going to function with Amari Cooper in terms of skill set. Yeah, I think it's a great point. I also think he's just a good fit, you know, with love Odell Beckham Jr., but more of a freelancer, kind of, you know, does things his own way. And I think Baker Mayfield just needs a guy – that if he thinks he's going to be, you know, 12 yards of depth, and at this point in the hash mark, like that's exactly where Amari Cooper will be, just kind of a more precise route runner. Um, I, I think it's a better fit on the football field as well. And there's there's a video series, I think it was on Game Pass, people were saying, that that's 
um, Amari Cooper was sitting down and watching film with Brian Baldinger, and I forget who the other person was, but like 20 minutes of just watching Amari Cooper tape and running through and sort of, you know, showing things and, and all that kind of stuff. And one of the interesting parts of it is he was talking about how when he's doing stuff like setting up a cornerback with his release and blah, 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 if he's going deep on a fade, he's not necessarily setting up the corner to be open at the to, – to, to sort of maximize the amount he's going to be open at the point where the ball arrives. He's setting him – like he's like, I'm doing this to get wide the hell open immediately because it presents the best picture to the quarterback because I want the ball, right? So I think that's actually a really good thing, again, for a guy like Baker Mayfield who one of his biggest struggles has been correctly reading a defense and identifying where to go with the football and all those kinds of things. Presenting Baker Mayfield with the best picture possible – when you're running routes, I think is massive, right? So every time Baker looks up, looks in your direction, you are wide open. And okay, even if that closes a little bit by the time the ball arrives, that's, that's your job. That's why you're getting paid $20 million a year. But if you can show him that picture every single time, that's better than Baker like dithering about, I don't know if this guy's going to be open. Like it's, it's tight. I, I'm, maybe I'll go to number two and then the whole play breaks down. So it, he said it talking about Dak Prescott and it wasn't like you know Dak's bad it was just hey I want the football and this is what I'm doing to get it but I think that's really applicable to a quarterback like Mayfield yeah I think he struggles with anticipatory throws and kind of throwing guys open and all those things I mean he played at Oklahoma so every throw you know the guy had 15 yards of separation so I do I think he kind of needs that and look for all the knocks you can have on Baker Mayfield if a guy's open he can make the throw that's not that's not an issue Um, it's just kind of everything else so the, the Browns are still making moves, but on the other side of this, we've got Dallas, who, why are they so bad at, like, just planning out contracts, right? Like, it seems like every one of these deals that comes up is like a surprise that we couldn't have seen coming years down the, the path. And it's, you know, okay, Amari Cooper's money is too much. we got to get rid of him. And then it's like, I don't know if we can re-sign Cedric Wilson. Like, that, the money's getting out of control here. We can't bring back our number four wide receiver. And then in the background lurking over all of this is the giant contract we handed Zeke Elliott that we're still stuck with. Like, is that what this is? Is that we're like, this one contract is just hanging around Dallas's neck like an albatross? Or do they just not, why do they not plan out upcoming contracts better, it seems? They seem to be like, they want to win every negotiation. Like even with Amari Cooper, they traded a first-round pick for him, and they still let him reach the tampering window. And Washington reportedly offered him like a 110 or 115 million over over five deal, and he ended up coming back to Dallas. But like, yeah, they just they just are obsessed with I think kind of winning the deals and and getting the right deal. And they also they seem to really believe like we have to reward guys that buy in, and that's why players like Jalen Smith and now Lyle Collins get these deals. That look, they're both they were good players at a time, but. You're like making sure you're taking care of non-priorities, and then it does. It makes it harder to take care of or to keep guys on your roster. Like if I'm Demarcus Lawrence and I get approached for a pay cut, I'm saying, why the hell would I take a pay cut? There's all these conversations they're having, everything they're dealing with. It does seem self-inflicted. It's crazy. I just there in a lot of ways, they aren't actually a badly run team. Like they've been drafting reasonably well, even if they've made some mistakes along the line. Everybody does. They have signed a lot of smart players. They've done a lot of smart things. And okay, they've they got a little bit lucky in terms of you stumbled into a Dak Prescott, right? When you were potentially aiming for a Paxton Lynch instead, and that obviously is <laughs> like that's franchise altering that uh, that decision. 
But then every now and again, they just shoot themselves in the foot, whether it's with a, a Zeke Elliott contract or whether it's with one of these other ones where you just you either don't you don't head it off at the pass before it becomes a problem. Or, as you say, they, they sort of reward players that didn't necessarily need it at the time. Yeah, no, it's, it's confusing. And then, yeah, you have these difficult decisions every offseason. You're trying to get all your guys back. And, yeah, they obviously got Gallup in the fold now. But like you said, I mean, it should never be a cap or cash excuse that you can't get back Cedric Wilson, your you know, wide receiver four in an ideal scenario. Like, that shouldn't be a conversation. So, yeah, I mean, it's just, I mean, look, I think they draft so well that they do have so many guys they need to, you know, re-up and, and give good deals to. So it's a good problem to have. But you'd think if they kind of, projected scenarios out a little better and kind of thought a couple of years ahead a little bit better, they wouldn't be dealing with these headaches. Okay, we'll hit a few other bits of news before we get into the true preview and, and look at the head of the next couple of days. Uh, first break is to tell you about our friends at All22, who are unveiling the newest fantasy football game that hundreds of PFF employees have been playing last season. Uh, All22 uses weekly PFF grades as one of its main scoring components. So you can create a full 53-man roster, including offensive linemen, because there's actually data points to let you run scoring, unlike other fantasy football games. If you've ever dreamt of sitting in an NFL front office, if you enjoy the scouting process, you're going to want to check out All22. Join the waitlist on all-22.com with nothing more than your email. If you join the waitlist before the NFL draft, you'll receive a special promo code for your All22 subscription. Waitlist users will even gain access to premium content like inaugural draft guides, in-season strategies, feature release announcements, and more. Be sure to follow All22 underscore PFF uh, on Twitter. All22, less fantasy, more football. Did you play that last season, Brad? Were you in on the, the fantasy league we had? I did not, but I would love to. And I know they, the way they determine the positional value is actually the same way we came up with our draft pick chart. So I, I'm already a huge fan of the league. Um, yeah, I got to get into the mix this year. This is something that we, we have been pushing at PFF for years, like dating back to like original PFF. Me and Khaled in particular were always pushing this idea of like our own fantasy game that operates with, with positions you can't, you can't do with any other, you know, entity with any other platform nobody else can use offensive linemen because there's no data points to to score it there's nothing working there so all 22 has that you can draft any position you want you create a full roster and as you said the fact that they use then position weighting so that it's not you know a left guard is not worth as much as your quarterback because that's equally unrealistic as chasing yards and touchdowns is in terms of telling you how well a guy played but is at least a, a useful component of it. I think it's a pretty cool idea. Yeah, if, if you want to have a real general manager of a team experience, and also, you know, like I love, I love regular fantasy football as well, but I think what this will do is kind of eliminate some of the randomness and kind of some of the silliness that comes with just chasing box score stats and all that is you're truly, if you build out a good roster and have good players at all your spots, you're not going to, you know, Rashad Penny in the playoffs <laughs> isn't going to end, end your season prematurely. Right. Um, so... One of the other bits of, uh, of news that happened, um, or not even news, so Allen Robinson is fast becoming like the only wide receiver left, right, <laughs> in terms of guys that have been taken off the market, franchise tag, given extensions, all these kinds of things. Um, and I've, I was saying before free agency that Robinson may end up um, kind of undervalued because he's coming to free agency off like the first relatively down year that he's had in the NFL. That guy has been quarterback proof for his entire NFL career. And then one bad year, 
timed in a contract year when you're hitting free agency and all of a sudden it's like we're pretending Allen Robinson isn't this elite talented wide receiver and it felt like we were going to undervalue him is that bouncing back because he's basically the one option left and actually his value is going to be sky high again where it should be or where's the the sort of Allen Robinson buzz it's certainly possible, yeah. I mean, like you're saying, as all these guys get franchise tagged or extended, his name just kind of crawls up the list again. And, yeah, I mean, I think teams should be able to just kind of ignore 2021, just say, look, you know, you know, the franchise tag in Chicago, from that point on, things did not go particularly well. The offense was a disaster. Here's the thing, look, if teams are willing to say, we now think Mitchell Trubisky might actually be good at quarterback because Matt Nagy's offense was bad. How can you not turn your brain off and make the same argument for, hey, look, Allen Robinson had one bad year but was putting up 1,000-yard seasons in offenses that threw for like 3,500 total yards for a couple of years before that in Chicago. Including that Locked one. That out. He's still not even 30 years old. Um, he should. I think he should get a decent – you know, he's not going to get $20 million or anything like that, but – um, you know, some people thought he was going to get like in the Corey Davis range, of like twelve and a half million per year. I would hope he at least gets like fifteen million per year from someone. I mean, God, you look at that. The, okay, some of it is his own fault, right? Because he chose Chicago. It's not like he got traded there or he landed there by mistake or you know he got on the wrong bus or whatever it was. He chose Chicago as a destination, and Chicago ended up being a disaster. But when you factor in. The, the situation in Chicago, the fact that he was in Jacksonville before that, the fact that in college he had Christian Hackenberg throwing him the football, and when everybody thinks that one year that Hackenberg was amazing in his freshman season, if you go back and like grade that year that, like we did, it was Allen Robinson being amazing. Like Every single throw was just a hope and, or a heave and hope to Robinson. He made special things happen at the catch point. Like That guy has not had a good situation ever, like dating back to high school. It's insane. Ever, ever. And so you get, you have to, in your mind, also think, what if he is actually, you know, in a good situation as a, you know, a number one receiver and a good offense with a good quarterback? He, he's not going to be bad. You know, right. he's not going to not produce because he, he can produce with the worst quarterbacks this league has to offer. So. He's, he's had top five slash top ten seasons in terrible quarterback situations, terrible offensive situations, at, and then one bad year at the end of it, you would think that like the default baseline should be this guy is a top 10 wide receiver in the NFL if we give him a half-decent situation to play with. Um, so I certainly would absolutely be, on, uh, would be all for Allen Robinson. I'm kind of I'm happy for him that it looks like just by process of elimination, he might end up getting that because we're running out of other wide receivers that could take the market away from him. Yeah, I also think there, there's some teams that should be looking to spend at wide receiver that, that have resources. I mean, he's from Detroit. I think the Lions obviously desperately need a number one receiver. Obviously, Amon St. Brown was a good rookie last year, but he's not like an ex-outside guy. A reunion in Jacksonville, maybe he doesn't want to go back. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they have a ton of money. I, they, they were, like I said, they were in the Amari Cooper, Cooper sweepstakes and struck out there. So the Jets, another one that, you know, have a ton of money, probably want to add maybe one more guy to go with Corey Davis and Elijah Moore. So, who knows who steps up, but I do think someone is going to step up. Yeah, the, the next wide receiver piece of news that kind of broke was Devontae Adams telling the Packers that he's not going to play in the franchise tag in 2022. Um, isn't, like, so in the past, your leverage for that would basically be holding out, right? Isn't that basically impossible now with the new CBA? So franchise tag is a bit of a carve-out. So sorry, to, yeah, you can, still, you can still hold out on the franchise tag. Okay. So that is... You're, you're, you're correct to say, like, rookie contract guys and, and guys that want early extensions, they basically cannot hold out anymore. On the franchise tag, you can sit out as long as you'd like. 
he could show up the day before week one and still make the entire $20 million if that's what he wants to do. Okay, so this is a real threat from his perspective in terms of Green Bay having to actually take this seriously and deal with it. And I think this is why Aaron Rodgers said, look, the deal, the parameters of the deal, I think, are done. But that's why he said, look, don't report this as a done deal because I have not signed it. And I think this is why he wants Devontae Adams to get a multi-year extension. They have until July 15th to work that out. If they don't get it done before then and they can't give him a multi-year deal. And I think he probably, you know, seriously considers just not showing up. But yeah, that's why I think Rodgers has said that. And it does because of their salary cap situation. In other situations, there's probably not a ton of leverage. Here in Green Bay, they have the most dire salary cap situation in the entire NFL, especially if Rodgers doesn't sign the new deal and has a $46 million cap hit. Devontae Adams with a $20 million cap hit on his franchise tag. I mean, it they don't spend in free agency much at all anyway. Right. But it definitely, I mean, they, they, they won't be able to if those guys are not willing to budge. And from their perspective, this is a deal they basically have to get done, right? Because you've got, you've got Rodgers back. So you've got, and it's not just one year, right? You're getting Rodgers for a couple, at least a couple more years. You, you need him. Like the, the whole thing has been Aaron Rodgers to Devontae Adams. And even that has been like a criticism, right? It's been, it's only Aaron Rodgers to Devontae Adams. Well, if one half of that disappears, like that's not, you can't, that doesn't work. At the very minimum, you need to make sure it's still Aaron Rodgers to Devontae Adams. So if Adams wants his long-term deal, you're probably going to have to give it to him. The funny thing about that whole argument was, of course, the major part is if you want to stop losing in the playoffs and, and maybe actually make a Super Bowl, you should get a second receiver. I think, you know, if you look at it from a GM standpoint, they have no leverage either. Like you're saying, if they had, like, you know, some up-and-coming stud-wide receiver. If you're the Cincinnati Bengals now and right. T. Higgins comes to you and says, I want $20 million, you can say, you know what, we love you. You're a stud. You had a great Super Bowl, great playoffs. We got Jamar Chase, who is better than you already as a rookie. Not that they, you know, the Packers need to, you know, trade up and use the top five pick on a receiver, but, yeah, they have no leverage because without him, I mean, Marquez Valdez-Scantling is gone. He's not going to be back. Amari Rodgers, I don't think, was a, a super impressive rookie for them last year, a third-rounder out of Clemson. He has all the chips on his side of the table. It's just the issue is becoming the highest paid wide receiver. And what does that mean? Topping DeAndre Hopkins is $27.25 million per year average. Is be, part of that is because he had three years left on his deal and signed kind of a two-year tack-on extension, whereas Adams obviously would be a brand-new deal. That, I'm sure, is what the holdup is, but they have to at least give him $27.5 million per year at this point. They just got to do it. And the – and the fact that they need a secondary receiver, like, that's still a problem. This just gets them back to being, like, where they were, right? Just yeah. getting, getting Devontae Adams back in the building with that long-term deal just, get, just maintains the level they were at. Then I think they still need to go and attack a secondary receiver, and it's probably in the draft because, like you said, they don't have the flexibility to go after anybody in free agency, particularly as the pool dwindles and the, the number of guys available get smaller and smaller. So I think that this might be the year – that they would still be wise to spend their first pick on a wide receiver and give Rodgers some help and give uh, Devontae Adams some help because it's a real thing, right? Eventually you're going to get to the playoffs and you're going to find a team that figures out a way of taking away Devontae Adams. And then if, you're, if the guys you're throwing to at that point aren't good enough, that's how you lose those games. 
Tell you, lose those games every year. We see it all the time. I think it's why the Saints with Drew Brees could never get over the hump because Michael Thomas would put up, you know, 2,000 yards in the regular season. But once playoffs came along, defense would just key in on him and they couldn't really do anything else. And I think it's the same even like Robert Tommy. And look, he's not a dynamic tight end, but a good red zone target, a guy that defenses have to at least account for. He's also a free agent, has the injury. So, yeah, they, they, they have to, like you said, it just gets them back to even bringing Adams back. And they still have work to be done after that. The last bit of news that I wanted to hit before we get the kind of main preview part or the look ahead for the next few days is that J.C. Jackson from the New England Patriots did not get the franchise tag um, and looks like he's headed to free agency. And I, that's one move that I just don't understand if I'm the Patriots. I get that this is a team that has generally been fairly reluctant to hand out monster contracts, uh, particularly to their own players. Um, but... Like, J.C. Jackson is your coverage at this point. Like, you gave up Stephon Gilmore, you traded him away, and, you know, that's a, a, a typical Patriots move, right? We get out either at the right time or potentially a year early, and we're fine with that. But the reason you do that is because J.C. Jackson's waiting in the wings. This is a guy that's been a ball hawk throughout his NFL career. His entire career, he's allowing a passer rating of, like, 55 into his coverage. He's allowing 51% or something of uh, passes thrown his way to be caught. He's the guy. Then to let him walk, you know, half a season later or a season later, I just, I don't get it. What's, what's going on with J.C. Jackson and the Patriots? Yeah, like you said, it's, it's particularly strange because not only they trade Gilmore, but like they were making moves. They traded to acquire Sean Wade, who the Ravens drafted in the fifth round last year. They traded for him like before training camp. Like they are, they're thin at corner. I mean, they're starting Jalen Mills at outside corner and he's, you know, been a decent signing for them, but you know, coming in, they thought he was going to be like a hybrid safety nickel type, and now he's playing out. It's, you know, I do think for them, yes, they've always had this history of letting good, you know, good players walk and, and not, you know, even like look at Joe Tooney last year, you know, they franchise tag him, still let him leave. For them, they're probably thinking, look, his value is at an all-time high. He has, what, 17 interceptions over the last two seasons, like a truly insane number. And so someone's going to pay him more than they're comfortable paying. But like you said, it puts them in a tough spot. I think, talk about the draft. Their first-round pick at 21, I think, has to be like Andrew Booth out of Clemson or, or one of these corners that fall, you know, to the late first. Yeah, like, usually when they do that, it's because there's somebody waiting in the wings that can take over. Like, the, I mean, the Gilmore deal is a perfect example, but Joe Tooney as well. Like, they were stuffed full of offensive linemen. You could get rid of yeah. a Joe Tooney. It doesn't matter because you've got guys waiting to take those snaps, and you're not going to suffer a drop-off. The Patriots are now in this position where there isn't anybody, right? If you look at the cornerback depth chart outside of J.C. Jackson. It's miserable. And they, they're in a position where, like you said, in order to have that spot where you, you're okay with letting him walk, you have to spend that first-round pick on a corner. And that's not usually a great recipe for being good next year. Like, if this is a team yeah, that wants you know, to win I the mean, playoffs, like, first-round corners typically don't play well year one. Right. No, 100%. And they, you know, they spend the most guaranteed money in NFL history last offseason. So they do have room and they can make some moves. And obviously, Mac Jones makes things very easy for them. But I doubt they're going to go on some massive spending spree again. I would say maybe, you know, they, they, they played more zone last year than man. Maybe they're going to shift to we're going to kind of de-emphasize. They used to love paying DBs and kind of wanted to exploit that market because it was cheaper than paying defensive line players. Maybe now they pivot a little bit. They got Matthew Judon at kind of a discount last offseason. And now their thinking is, we'll sit in more zone, and, and we don't need to pay corners as much to do that because it's asking less of them. And, and, you know, you and I work on the free agent list. There are a lot of depth options or a lot yeah. of, you know, solid number twos. But like you said, at the end of the day, 
Jason Jackson's going to be a massive loss, and they're not going to replace it with a player that, that's close to him on the field. And, you know, as much as it, it's, it's good reasoning to say that, hey, in a zone-heavy scheme, cornerback is less impactful, less valuable, less important than it is in a man-heavy scheme, it's still important. Like, if you're if, you know, playing a ton of zone, having an impact number one corner is still like a really valuable part of the defense. And in particular, if you go from like elite to terrible, like that's still a massive drop-off within that defense. It doesn't matter if you're playing man or zone. If you have a bad cornerback out there as your number one, that's still a giant glaring target in your your secondary that quarterbacks are going to take advantage of. 100%. I mean, I guess their thinking is, well, you know, Josh Allen pitched a perfect game against us in the playoffs. So obviously even these guys weren't cutting it and, and weren't good enough to prevent that. So we're going to shift to getting more pressure, you know, with our front four or doing whatever we want to do um, and, and just trust that we can sit in zone behind them and, and save some money there. But it's definitely a risk. It's definitely a gamble for Bill Belichick, especially if he's busy, you know, calling offensive plays next year or whatever the heck he's going to be doing. Yeah, it's a wild time in New England generally. Um, one more ad read to get through, and it's the big one. Today, I'm excited to announce Manscaped launched their ultra premium collection. We've announced it quite a lot already, but we're still announcing it. Believe it or not, it's for your not so private parts. I'm talking about leveled up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. This is an all in one skin and hair care kit for the everyday man and covers you from head to toe, literally. Manscaped is trusted below the waist. Now trust them with the rest. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF. I'd recommend using the products in this order. Hop in the shower and scrub-a-dub-dub that body with the Manscaped body wash. Then it says lather your hair up with the 2-in-1 shampoo and conditioner. I I wouldn't personally recommend that because I no longer have hair to lather up. But, you know, you do you. Uh, dry off and spray on the hydrating body moisturizer to reinvigorate dry skin. Put on the Manscaped deodorant for obvious reasons. Pop that Manscaped lip balm on. Nobody's out here kissing chapped up lips. It says get dressed is optional, but frankly, if you don't work from home, it really isn't. You know, you need to get dressed. Wear one great scent all day long. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. The power of attraction is now in a bottle, thanks to Manscaped. Who is going to be this year's big free agent spenders, Brad? I think the Chargers are going to stay aggressive. I think they could, you know, coming off our J.C. Jackson conversation, I think they could go out and give him a massive deal. Wow. Um, I think, you know, these teams with these young quarterbacks, Cincinnati, obviously everyone says they're cheap, but they have kind of spent the last yeah, two offseasons, and I think they will again. Um, but, yeah, those two stick out to me. I think Miami is going to try to just spend and see what happens. Even if they're not fully invested in Tua, just, you know, build out this roster, build this offensive line, try to do something to stabilize the team and finally make the playoffs, you know, after two years of winning records and not making the playoffs. Um, yeah, those teams all jump out to me. And then I think the Raiders, too, if they want to keep up in this AFC West and, you know, get an extension with Carr done, they've made a bunch of kind of cap-clearing moves that kind of signal maybe that they're going to try to, you know, keep up with this crazy division. I mean, it, I, I, I genuinely am starting to feel kind of sorry for the Raiders because you're like – how do you compete with this? And I understand, look, they beat the Chargers, right, last season. They got into the playoffs. They were, they were good, despite, despite the absolute shit show that was happening around them in terms of, you know, their head coach had to be booted out of the building because of an email scandal. Their uh, wide, deep threat wide receiver killed somebody driving 150 miles an hour late at night in Vegas, right? 
a whole bunch of disasters befell this team, and they still made the playoffs. They still knocked the Chargers out of contention. So it, I know under, with that context, it kind of sounds silly being like, well, how do they compete with the Chargers? But all of a sudden you're in this division with, I think, three quarterbacks that should be objectively seen as better than Derek Carr and at least two situations that would appear to be objectively better from a roster standpoint than the Raiders and none of that is going away anytime soon. So you're all of a sudden looking at this team being like, how, how do you compete long-term with that? Because it's not like you, can, you can't just blow it up and start over because you've got to try and find a quarterback that's as good as those other three, and that's like virtually impossible. And that's the thing, too. You mentioned, you know, blowing it up is like Herbert and Mahomes could play for a decade. So right. What do you if, – if it was like Wilson and a couple other older guys, maybe you say, yeah, look, trade Derek Carr, get a bunch of first-round picks and try to be good in, you know, 2023, 2024. But that's not the situation. So it, it is funny. Like, to feel bad for a playoff team, I, I'm with you, though. I mean, he's he's probably a top-12 quarterback in the NFL, and he's firmly fourth place in his own division. It's right. just crazy. <laughs> I say we play the long game. We keep trading everything for future picks, and then, like, 2033, we just own the entire draft. Right, The Raiders have every pick in the 2033 draft right at the time that Mahomes and Herbert have started to, you know, started to decline. Russell Wilson's already gone. That's when we make our move. That's the long con, yeah. It's a real, it's a real long game. But look, Mark Davis is building that giant like, spaceship house in Vegas. Like, they're playing the long game there. They've got the stadium already. They just keep cashing, you know, building up the war chests in terms of both spending cash and, the, uh, and those draft picks. And then we can really make some moves that year. Yeah, I guess so. But, you know, they went ahead and extended Max Crosby's the first 2019 draft pick to get an early extension. It was a phenomenal deal for the Raiders, in my opinion. But, um, yeah, they're, they're going to try. I think they have no choice but to try. Um, the Bengals are going to be one of the most interesting teams this free agency. Uh, and I'm not just saying that because, you know, home team Bengals, and there are people that think that we, <laughs> like we actively support the Bengals. But they, they're kind of in the situation that the Chargers were in a year ago, which is – being 100% certain about their quarterback, right? Joe Burrow is the truth, the way, and the light. But being also very clear about what the mission is in this offseason of like making sure that guy has some protection in front of him so that we can get back to where we were, right? I think it's fair to say that the Bengals overachieved this year and made a Super Bowl when they weren't supposed to and probably rode their luck in terms of how Burrow was able to play under pressure and, and those kinds of things. So... The Chargers, learned, the Chargers did a great job because Herbert was the number one graded quarterback under pressure as a rookie. Um, and it would have been easy to look at that if you're the Chargers and say, ah, we don't need a great offensive line. We've got a QB that can play under pressure. It's, it, this, is, this is fine, right? Kind of the way the Seahawks did for years with Russell Wilson. Instead, they understood that the chances of that happening two years in a row are, are pretty small. Let's overhaul this line. They get Corey Lindsay in free agency. You get Rashawn Slater in the draft. You bring in other lower-down free agents as well. You basically completely overhaul the unit in one offseason. Great move. The Bengals are basically in the same situation now, right, where Burrow is playing fantastically under pressure. The chances of him doing that two years in a row, not great. And your offensive line has at least three players, more like four, that definitely need an upgrade. Yeah. Also, you know, what are the odds that Baker Mayfield is hurt for a year and, and Lamar right. Jackson's hurt for much of the year? And, you know, obviously Big Ben, I think we all agree that the Steelers will upgrade on Big Ben unless it's Mason Rudolph. They'll probably upgrade on Big Ben. So it's going to be a tough division. It's going to be competitive in the AFC in general going forward. They have to. They have to make a potential splash move on the offensive line. 
um, you know, or just make a bunch of mid-tier moves. But they do. They, they have no choice. They have the money. They've spent on defense and free agencies past. Um, it's, it's time to invest heavily, you know, to protect Joe Burrow. Unlike the Chargers, I think you probably need to do it in like every avenue available to you. I like the Bengals should be one of the first teams on the phone to Dallas for Lyle Collins, you know, in a move that's supposedly on the table in terms of shipping him out. Um, Lyle Collins has been a very good starting right tackle and the Bengals have the move. They have the draft capital and the salary cap space to make that happen. That's just like an automatic upgrade. Like if you can be first in the queue for that deal, make it happen because like the, the problem when you need to overhaul four guys on the offensive line is your strike rate needs to be really good, right? You can't afford misses. You can't afford to have these guys where we bring in four or five, two or three of them don't work, and all of a sudden we still have two massive weak links on the offensive line. So if you can uh, tick off one spot with just a guarantee, we bring in Lyle Collins, that will be an upgrade. There's just no way he isn't. Make it happen. They have to be in the market there. I completely agree. It's a three-year, $30 million contract left on Lyle Collins. Yes, you know, had the suspension and I guess, you know, came in a little bit overweight into camp and that's kind of leading to, you know, this this trade push from Dallas. But like we talked about at the top of the show, they're also just in a financial bind and don't really know, you know, what to do there. So if you're Cincinnati, you have to at least be in the mix. I think you could probably get him for a fourth, maybe a third if, if a bunch of teams get in the mix there. But like you're saying, if you guarantee you can have a substantial upgrade at your tackle spot for a third round pick, it's an easy decision. The contract's there. They should be – if they're not on the phone with Dallas, that's a problem. Yeah, it's, I mean, and for that kind of price as well. Okay, I mean, $10 million a year, it's not insignificant, but for a starting right tackle that you know is going to be a massive upgrade, it's a steal, uh, particularly for a team with the kind of spending space that Cincinnati has. And for that kind of capital, like a mid-round pick, you're probably going to need to use that mid-round pick on an offensive lineman anyway. So use it for a guy that you know is going to be an upgrade. Then you can spend – you know, your first round pick on an offensive lineman that might have to start and you can go and spend some free agent money on, on another guy to be a, a guaranteed starter. It just it's a move that makes too much sense. And I, I get that there, there might be a market for him and you might have to it might turn into a bit of a bidding war. But the Bengals should be in that until it gets like until the price gets crazy. And for a mid round pick, it's not crazy at all. I mean, we, we never want to do hindsight analysis, but look, they used a second-round pick last year on Jackson Carmen and couldn't even start him at guard. I right. mean, he was getting started over by, like, Akeem Adenogy and guys that were grading in the, the 20s for us, and he still couldn't crack the lineup. So as much as I'm a fan of draft that capital, and I always will you know, promote taking a lot of uh, dart throws, and you shouldn't always be trading all your picks for veterans, if you're Cincinnati where you have a bunch of great surplus-value assets in Burrow, Chase, and build on the list, you have a ton of cap space, You've spent on defense already and had a good defense. Yeah, you got to just make some big moves on the offensive line because the window's now. Who else should we be looking at this free agency period then that's about to kick off? You know, uh, some of the usual suspects. I, I think the Jets, you know, it's going into year four now for Joe Douglas. I think he gets a lot of credit, as he should, for, you know, unloading Sam Darnold for a two, four, and a six and, and getting rid of Jamal Adams for two firsts and a third and all these things. But Hasn't done great in free agency so far. Um, and they got to compete. They got to at least be like a competitive football team. I honestly thought it was an underrated storyline last year. I think Robert Sala is going to be a good head coach. I think he runs a good defense. But their defense took a step back last year. I mean, they yeah. were worse last year than they were the year before. The offense obviously was terrible. And, and Zach Wilson, you know, needs some help. Um, I think they have to be in the mix on maybe not the top, you know, 
don't get into the CJ Mosley waters again. That's kind of what, what put, made them the Jets originally, but they need to spend and build out this roster because you have to imagine ownership is looking for at least a 500 football team in the near future. Yeah, I mean, they're. I think Joe Douglas has done a, a really quite a good job, but the entire thing is going to go as Zach Wilson goes, right? If he, if, if Wilson isn't the guy, they're not going to survive past that. They're not going to get a second shot at that. So they're one of those teams where the entire job has to be make sure Zach Wilson is good. And okay, like you said, the defense was a disaster last year and it needs work, but like job one, two, and three is make sure that receiving core is amazing so that Zach Wilson has no excuses. I think the offensive line has already, they've done a good job rebuilding that unit over the last couple of years. It's pretty decent now. You could upgrade a spot or two, but I, I don't know if you need to. Go and find that guy a number one wide receiver so that Corey Davis can go back to being a number two so that Elijah Moore can operate as a you know, movable piece all over that, that offense from the slot to out wide. Um, but they need that one elite guy that can just separate and, and win at all levels that they don't necessarily have right now. And then you can start plowing some resources into defense. I, yeah, it, it's interesting because the Jets are they're a team that, that spends a lot, and all of a sudden they're in a position where they kind of need to make some moves to make sure that Wilson doesn't flounder. Yeah, and look, they have the fourth and tenth overall pick, and, and I get that. But again, you don't know what you're getting, at least in the first season from these guys. Those should be impact players and potentially impact rookies. But if anything, that should just kind of more, you know, say, look, we have all of these rookie contract, really good players. Why would we not spend around it and try to build a legitimately good roster? Um, I think they're going to have to be active starting starting today at noon. Nice. Um, anyone else you think will be big spending? I'm trying to think who else. Uh, you know, I think we'll have some surprises. Like, I do think that teams are kind of viewing this free agency as the last hurrah in this market before, you know, the cap truly spikes and before the TV money comes in and all those things happen. Um, I, I think that, you know, look, the deals are still going to reflect that there's now 17 games and all these things to an extent, but I think teams realize the jump could be, you know, kind of huge next year. So for me, I know they just traded away Khalil Mack to the Los Angeles Chargers. I think the bears are going to spend on offense. I think they, they've cleared a ton of cap. They're not top 10 in cap space for us. They may not, you know, look to spend on all over the all over the team, but build out around Justin Fields, get him an offensive line. They have the only wide receiver on the roster is Darnell Mooney, so get a wide receiver for him. Um, I, I think they're going to be pretty busy as well. How do you think these contracts are going to be structured with everything you just said about, you know, a potential jump in money a year from now? Um, you know, we get this free agent period, and it's like there's two waves of it, right? There's A, Team A has signed Player B for – the headline figure, right? Four years, $80 million or whatever. And then it's like, all right, now we got to wait and find out what that actually looks like in terms of the money, what's guaranteed, how's it structured, blah, 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 before you can get a real opinion of what that deal actually is. So with a potential like giant jump coming in terms of money, if, if you're a team signing a big free agent now, what, what, should, what is that deal going to look like? Yeah, so the battle this offseason is going to be all about length. It's going to be the, the length of the deal. I think my projections had shorter deals than normal because of this, because players want to get back on the market. So teams are going to push for you know the full five-year deals that they're used to. I think like Michael Gallup already in Dallas. Look, $12.5 million for Michael Gallup coming off not only the ACL tear, but kind of missing most of the season with a calf injury. It is a good payday for him, but... He got $27 million guaranteed on a five-year deal at $12.5 million per year. Corey Davis last offseason signs for the same $12.5 million per year, but on a three-year deal and also got $27 million guaranteed. So it kind of shows like 
Teams are going to try to go as long as possible. Agents and players are going to try to get short, get back to the market. And so then the battle comes, all right, well, if you want to go short term, how much are we going to give, you know, give you guarantees and assurances and all these things? But I would guess we see shorter term contracts because guys want to reenter the market as soon as possible. Is that the way, is that a trend in the way these negotiations are going? Like every, all the players are pointing towards that as a goal now, or is this, is this a case of there's a bunch of different ways that players are trying to go? You know, some guys are interested in the short term, hit the market again, high guarantees. Other guys are looking for the, just the maximum number of dollar values. Is there like one direction that negotiations are going from a player side or is just a, a whole bunch of different things, whatever the individual players are looking for? So there's, of course, always going to be individuality to every deal. But, yes, the, the growing trend, no question, is getting shorter deals. Your typical four-year deal is now a three-year deal. Your typical five-year extension is now a four-year extension. And, and teams historically have been obsessed with this precedent. I mean, they they know that if you sign one guy to the five-year extension, it makes it easier for you to then the next guy that comes along, um, you know, to be able to get and say, look, that's, that's what we do. It's how we do business. So why would we make an exception for you? And I think agents, uh, as free agents, but also even on extensions, and even Max Crosby. I mean, a four-year extension at, at his position is very short. I mean, those guys, Miles Garrett and Clem Mack, and Clem Mack was six years, Bosa, Garrett, five years. Like I, like I said, I thought the Raiders did very well on Crosby. The reason probably why is because Max Crosby now can hit free agency again before he turns 30 years old. I think he took a little bit less total dollars than he could have gotten, but he could get another huge deal down the road. And I think that's probably what his calculation, his team, his team was thinking. It's uh, it's like Kirk Cousins has been the guy, you know, re 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 centering how all these negotiations go years ago. It felt like quarterbacks were going to change the way these deals were done because I remember thinking when Andrew Luck's deal was coming up like years ago, he was the next quarterback that was going to have the kind of leverage where he could completely change the landscape and say, you know, the quarterback is too important that you basically have to give me whatever the hell I want. And for years it had been pushing for just bigger and bigger money, you know, maximum dollar figure, even if it's costing like X number of years, six year deals for the hundred and whatever million dollars. It felt like somebody was going to come along and have the leverage to be like, you know what, I don't care how, how many the years are, but I want the, the, all of it, guaranteed, fully guaranteed deal. And it felt like that was going to be Andrew Luck right at the sort of peak of the time where there was like 20 quarterbacks in the NFL. And if you were teams 21 to 32, you were screwed. So you need, if you had one of those guys, you needed to keep him. You needed to do whatever it took to give him the contract to keep him in the building. And it didn't end up happening. And the closest we ever got to that was Kirk Cousins being, yeah, I'll take a three-year fully guaranteed contract. It's, it's just kind of wild the way that's progressed. So teams have pushed back super hard. And I think um, we were continuing to trend after Kirk Cousins, even with like, you know, Deshaun Watson only taking a four-year extension. Dak Prescott then went on a four-year extension. What teams, really what the Kansas City Chiefs and Buffalo Bills did to get, do everyone a favor is these rolling guarantees they basically came up with. Well, not came up with. It's been a thing in the past. But they said, look, if we make it clear that we are fully guaranteeing at signing like four years of a contract, then position players will look for two or three. And then soon, you know, everyone's coming for multiple years of fully guaranteed deals. But they basically did was say, we are still giving you a fully guaranteed deal in, in actuality or, in, you know, technically, but we're not actually going to do that. We're going to still only guarantee two or three years at signing, but then have the, you know, future guarantees kick in a couple of years early. 
and that's been their counter. It's a smart counter because, look, I mean, agents aren't dumb. They know what they're doing, but it helps them negotiate, helps them argue. Like, you know, like with T.J. Watt, for example, you know, he pushed hard, and that negotiation was less about the value, more about him saying Pittsburgh never guarantees money outside of the first year for really anyone except for quarterback. He got guarantees in the third year of his deal. It impacts every single contract that Pittsburgh will ever sign, you know, for the rest of their franchise. So, this battle and structure matters so much, and both sides are fighting these fights kind of behind the scenes, you know, pretty much at all times. It's why it makes like this whole the next, you know, how 72 hours are going to be dealing with so ridiculous because <laughs> everyone's like an immediate knee jerk reaction on the deal with none of that information, right? With just yep. player signed with team for this number of years and this much money. And that's where you got to go off. That's the reaction you need to make. And realistically, all of the nuance is in, is in the stuff you just talked about, which never comes out until, you know, hours, if not days later. By the time it comes out, no one really, you know, no casual fan really cares. Right. So, and they know that. And, yeah, look, I mean, hey, I can go on as many podcasts and say these things over and over again, but it's it's not something that, like, casual people – I mean, why would they care? I don't, I don't expect them to. But, but, yeah, I mean, these structures matter so much, and these numbers – it's also – I have this weird – like, I don't really get why – you know, agents are comfortable letting them put out. You know, all they want is for media attention, say, give the max value. So, you know, including incentives, not even the actual base value. And then put out total guarantees as opposed to fully guaranteed, which is, again, a whole other conversation. You know, I, that's an issue where I think the players and agents might need to have a reckoning and say, like, look, we should also we should under report like fans think these guys, they see a deal and they compare it to NBA and MLB contracts. And they're nothing alike. They have right. nothing to do with each other. And I don't think they get that. And I don't think, you know, that's, it's kind of a creation of how we report on it. But it's interesting. I do hear a lot that, you know, people will sort of complain, like, why do you care? It's not your money. It's the team. But well, the reason it's important is because the whole, because the salary cap, it's not that it's made up, right? It is a restriction, right? You're, you're limited to a certain amount of money in a certain calendar year with the salary cap. And yes, that could be manipulated, but... This is how it can be manipulated. So these numbers are important because they let you do those kinds of things, right? The salary cap is not – it's not that it's like a rigid thing of, oh, you're, you're just stuck. You can always tinker with it and maneuver and move things around, but it does ultimately restrict you, and that's where you get situations like Green Bay that we talked about before, right, where Rodgers and Devontae Adams are essentially holding Green Bay hostage with the salary cap because right now those two – are taking up like what, like a third of the cap, um, yeah. And and Dallas, right, where all of a sudden the, the the moves that Dallas have made are coming back to haunt them, and blah blah blah. Like you can see so many instances every single year of the salary cap having an impact, and that's why each one of these deals and the sort of small nuances and the the guaranteed money and the when the money shows up and blah blah blah. That's why it's important. It's not because you should individually care how much money a billionaire is handing over to a millionaire, because. Like, who the hell cares, right? It's because specifically the amount of money and when and how it's done is what is impacting that team's salary cap now and into the future. Yeah, that's what I always say. Like, look, I want every guy to get a bigger deal than he deserves. I I don't care. I want these billionaires to pay the players way more than they do. But at the end of the day, yeah, like, it's going to have ramifications. Like, there's going to be externalities that come out of that happening. And so I think, yeah, it's it's annoying. I want to analyze what it's going to do to the team, and, and it comes off as all oh, you want this guy. No, I, I want every player to make more money than they deserve. That's fine with me. But I'm also going to talk about what that potentially does to the outlook of their roster. Right. Um, so, all right, let's let's wrap it up with just 
What, what, what's the sort of theme of what you think is going to happen in the next couple of days? We're going to get into this legal tampering period, which is typically when, like, <laughs> it's just when free agency starts, right? Like, we just moved it forward two days. Um, and then you get all the news that happens then, and then we get the official sort of deals done once the real free agency opens. But last year, one of the big themes was New England spending, like it was going out of fashion. Um, there was the Chargers overhauling their offensive line. There were a few different things. What do you think this year the themes are going to be? I think there's going to be a huge first wave. Like, I think we're going to see some massive deals for guys like Ron Armstead and, and some of these big names, J.C. Jackson, so on and so forth. I think it's kind of going to get quiet then. Like, I think it's going to be huge initial first wave, a lot of big deals coming through. And then, like, we've talked about the depth. The depth is there, but maybe not deals that get done right away, and then it gets into kind of a bidding war, and there's some negotiations there. So... I think it will be very fun and active out of the gate. Then I think there's kind of going to be like a delay as, as teams reassess the landscape following that first initial wave, and then they'll get going again. And as we always talk about, like that second wave is when so much of the best business is done. Like that's when those guys that are still really valuable contributors, still potentially starters, still very good additions to your team – but don't cost as much, right? They're going to be cheaper. They're going to be more valuable to you because the cost is less. And that's where those pieces get made. And in particular this year where it feels like to me, when we did our, you know, fixing every team series, there's so many teams who are like, you need two or three starters on the offensive line. And the good news is this is a great year for that, right? There's a ton of guys available in free agency that are viable, capable, solid starters, but the problem is there's probably less of them than there are teams that need to fill those spots, right? So <laughs> yep. it's a little bit of musical chairs, but the teams that are going to figure out how to get those deals done in that second wave are the ones, I think, that are going to quote-unquote win free agency, right? Like a team like Cincinnati, you can potentially plug two holes on the offensive line with guaranteed upgrades in that second wave that aren't going to break the bank and still have draft capital intact and still maybe have made a move for a Lyle Collins, like those are the teams that are going to end up winning free agency. I think an interesting trend too, and obviously, you know, the deals didn't age particularly well for the example I'm about to give, but we saw a couple teams that basically made second wave deals, but did it during the first wave. The one that jumps to mind, I remember last year, Carolina <laughs> signing Pat Elfline and Cam Irving. And look, we're laughing now and both guys probably got overpaid and they didn't play well, but if you're Cincy and you're saying, look, I don't want to wait if there's a, you know, a guard, an interior right. offensive lineman that I think is decent and a, and a swing tackle that I think is decent, why don't we just sign them on the first day, get it out, get it over with, and don't let anyone else outbid us? I think the, 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 the theory, the process there was yeah. sound. The results maybe weren't great. I get what you're saying. Yeah, the actual, the approach wasn't necessarily crazy. It was the players they decided to take <laughs> that approach with have been yes. crazy. Do you understand what Carolina is doing generally? Because they are one of the most confusing teams in the NFL to me. I don't understand almost any single move that they have prioritized by what I mean, like the ones you've talked about, right? And which actually, it's, I hadn't thought about that before, but it's a good point you bring up, which is if they'd done that for two players that were actually good, it would have been quite a smart thing to do, but they didn't. Same with the, the Ian Thomas thing, right? Like, who in the world was going to pay Ian Thomas the amount of money you just paid him and you went and locked that up before free agency? It feels like a lot of times when you lock up your own players before free agency, it's because they're going to hit the marketplace. Once the phone calls start coming in, the number's only going to go up, right? But with the number you just signed him to, the number could, it was only going to go down. Nobody was going to pay that in free agency. So what were you doing? 
Yeah, I mean, I think they really just want to take care of their guys. You know, I think Matt Rule, we'll see how it works. You know, let's not write, write him off just yet, but I think he kind of views it as like a college program. And so I think Ian Thomas is just a great fit, and he just said whatever the price is, I don't really care. But I'll tell you this, every agent of a tight end that saw that deal came through, you know, they they, they cheered some champagne to, the, to that tweet coming across their timeline. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we tweeted out something like this. Well, it's already like the best – agent deal of free agency and it didn't like occurred like a week before free agency it's just <laughs> yeah. I, my mind is blown with some of the deals they're making and then it's it's kind of backed them into this corner where they we talked about before they might need to make the, the most crazy aggressive move possible for Deshaun Watson like Brady comes back you know Russell Wilson go like all of a sudden you're like Carolina's gonna have to offer Deshaun Watson like a piece of the franchise to move over I mean, yeah, they've been restructuring deals like crazy. They are clearing a ton of cap space. They're going to trade for someone. It's just a matter of who it is. That's not, that's not legal, right? That's a salary cap violation, offering him like 2% of the, uh, the organization to move over? There was the rumor about Tom Brady and the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, you cannot, you cannot offer team ownership, uh, unfortunately, to, you know, to be a part of your, your team. You know, player-owner combo is not allowed. Right. That's a shame. That's, that's a bummer. That would have been a, a neat little sidestep. The... Uh, there's a team in – I've got to get the rugby counter up. There's a team in uh, the Premiership Rugby uh, in England that, that they have a salary cap as well. I don't know how well it's enforced relative to the, uh, the NFL one, but the team was essentially getting around the salary cap by the owner just buying houses with players, you know, just going in with these deals that were like, oh, well, look, technically it's an independent investment, you know. You and me, we'll just buy the same house together and we'll reap the profits and – it, you know, I, I can't control that that's outside of our, uh, our salary cap endeavor. And obviously that wasn't, you know, nobody bought that argument. So they got punished and dumped out of the league. Yeah, the NFL CBA has that in, in plain in plain writing. You can't, you know, <laughs> circumvent it by buying other things. I'm sure be, the thing is, the funny thing is, I'm sure it's in there because someone tried. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, Brad, perfect. Thank you so much for uh, filling in for... Sick note, Palazzolo over there. Um, we'll be back later in the week. I think we're back with our usual schedule, Wednesday show, Thursday show, reacting to all the madness that actually does happen in free agency. This has just been the preamble. So thanks for showing up, Brad. Yeah, thanks for having me.